the reading of God's Word this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 23 down through verse number 30. Uh, We'll read these verses responsively. That means uh, we'll read every other verse together. I'll begin in verse 23, and then uh, we'll read uh, the even-numbered verses out loud together. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Together, verse 24, And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye, as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. We're going to look at this topic of the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach a sacred time, help us to come with a sacred spirit, a spirit of reverence, a spirit of great respect. Lord, for what these elements represent. They represent a broken body where the blood was spilled out on the altar of the cross to make redemption for our sins. What a powerful, powerful thing. And so, Lord, um, may this message be a reset button. May this time be a reset button in our hearts and lives. May we collectively remember, but Lord, even individually worship you for what you've done for us. Lord, it is a privilege to have the Word of God and to know what it says. Help us to seek to understand it on a deeper level and leave here changed. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The the book of Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, uh, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that he started within the city of Corinth. Corinth was a town that was right on the water. It was a port town. And when you have a port town, you have many different people from many different countries and many different cultures. It is a melting pot in every sense of the term, a melting pot. And uh, it was also a place where sin was very prevalent. And the church of Corinth struggled greatly with sin. In fact, to call this church that Paul wrote to a church is sort of a stretch. Uh, It is a church in that it had people in it who were saved, but uh, if you read through the book, the first letter written to the church of Corinth or the book of 1 Corinthians, what you find is you find a whole bunch of problems in one church. In fact, this church was probably the most dysfunctional church that we know of From that time in Scripture, instead of calling it a church, it really acted like and behaved more like a dysfunctional 
country club where people came to hang out and spend time together and uh, sin. People looked the other way at sin and sometimes they even glorified sin. In fact, the book it really is six short essays written on six different areas where the church of Corinth really, really struggled. And Paul would address those areas, uh, uh, name them, and then tell them how to go about fixing them. One of the areas the church of Corinth struggled with was this area of the Lord's Supper. Now, at White Oak Baptist Church, we seek to do this ordinance, as it is called. We seek to do this ordinance in a way that would please the Lord. We seek to do this ordinance in a way that is 100% line in line with Scripture. But can I tell you that a lot of churches, uh, uh, a lot of religions in the world today, they just flat out have it all wrong. They don't do it right. And so it is good occasionally for us to open up the Scriptures and look and see what Paul explained to this church about the Lord's Supper. So I've got two main points for you this morning and then some sub-points below them. And again, we're keeping the service to an hour long, so let's jump right in and notice point number one, the church's rebuke. The church's rebuke. So this church, as I mentioned, was dysfunctional and they did just about everything wrong, including the Lord's Supper. And so Paul is writing to them and he is telling them, listen, folks, there are some things about the Lord's Supper that you just need to get right. There's some things that you need to change because as a church corporately, you are in gross error. Let's look at letter A. First, Paul said, some of you are careless. Some of you are careless. Look down with me at verse number 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And we'll read down through verse number 22. And look what he says about their careless spirit toward the Lord's supper table. It says, When ye come together, therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, every one uh, taken before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken or drunk. Look at what he says here, verse 22. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Look down at verse 34, the last verse of the chapter. Paul says there, And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. He's saying to them, uh, you all uh, have a careless, flippant attitude about this time uh, that is so important. Now, you, you have to understand why this church is observing the Lord's Supper elements. They're observing this because when Jesus was in the upper room, right before he was arrested, hours before he's arrested, um, he's up there and he gives the disciples bread and unfermented wine uh, to partake of. And he says to them, he says, do as oft as ye do this, do it in remembrance of me. So was the church of Corinth right to have the Lord's Supper scheduled on their church calendar? Yes, they were right to do that. It wasn't that they were, whether or not they were having it, it's that they were doing it wrong. I really see two problems Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians 11 when it comes to their carelessness. And the first one is the environment they had. You see, they had an environment of gorging themselves, of stuffing their faces, of coming hungry and pigging out. 
and doing this as a Lord's Supper, uh, 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 doing this in lieu of the Lord's Supper. Now, um, uh, when I was a small boy, uh, I loved to eat. Um, I just loved to eat. In fact, I still really love to eat. And uh, when I, my, I knew that my parents were going to take me to a pizza buffet, and I don't know that they have pizza buffets around much anymore. How many, were there, did those, there used to be those around here, or is that just not a New England thing? It's not a New England thing. In the South where I grew up, there were pizza buffets. You go and pay one price, and you could eat all the pizza that you wanted. It was, it was awesome. And my parents would take me to one of those every now and then. And um, uh, when I knew that was going to happen, I would skip breakfast and I would skip lunch. And I would go in as hungry as I could so I could eat as many slices of pizza as possible. And I was gorging myself. And, you know, that's really, that's gluttony. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, but that's what these people were doing with the Lord's Supper. They were coming hungry and they were bringing large amounts of food. And they were having a huge meal for the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, listen, you have a house to eat in. Eat at home and then come to this Lord's Supper service and be reverential toward the elements. Be reverential in what you're doing. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating at church. I've seen people take this passage to say that you should never eat at church. That's not what this passage is teaching. It's teaching that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, eat at home first and then come ready to be reverential and be respectful and a time of remembrance for what the Lord has done for us. The other problem I see here is that they had created a party atmosphere. They had created a party atmosphere. This was a time that the church of Corinth had made into something that was light and fun and uh, exciting. And they were coming in and they were eating and they were drinking themselves drunk and leaving and claiming they had partaken in the Lord's Supper table. Now, I don't believe that this is one of the areas where our church per se struggles. In fact, I've never seen a church do the Lord's Supper this way or heard of a church that does the Lord's Supper this way. But Paul was saying, when you come to this time where you're going to observe the Lord's Supper elements, come with a spirit that is respectful, come with an attitude of preparation for the Lord so that you can remember his great sacrifice. So uh, we see that their first struggle was that some of them were careless. Paul says next, some of you are contaminated, contaminated. Now, this one, I believe that many Christians even today still struggle with. Look at first Corinthians 11, verse number 27. And look at the strong, strong language Paul uses here. It says, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the blood or the body and blood of the Lord. Folks, I don't know if there's a stronger verse in the entire Bible than that. If you partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily, you are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What he's saying here is that if you come to this time and you partake of these elements, and you're not worthy, you are walking all over the cross of Christ. You are disrespecting on the greatest level the great sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. Verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup, for he that eateth and drinketh, there's that word again, unworthily, 
eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That is strong language. That is a serious warning. I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to be guilty of eating or drinking of these Lord's Supper elements unworthily. So then, the question begs to be asked. How do I make myself worthy? How do I bring myself to a place where I am worthy to partake of these elements? Well, let me give you some thoughts below this idea of some of them were contaminated. Notice first, this person, to be worthy, this person must be a true believer in Jesus the Christ. This person must be a true believer in Jesus the Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 28. A believer in Jesus the Christ. You believe that he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he was God born through the womb of a virgin. Um, uh, He lived a perfect life. When he died on the cross, he became your sin, he became my sin, he became the sin of every human being, and he died in our place. He went through hell on the cross for us. He, he suffered so that we don't have to suffer. And you are a true believer. That means you have put your heart's reliance in him to get you to heaven. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. How much worse is it to trample underfoot the cross of Christ uh, than it is to trample on Moses' laws, the Ten Commandments? How much worse is it for you to look at the cross and know what it stands for and know that Jesus died for you and know that you should have gone to hell, but Jesus sacrificed on the cross and you walk up to the cross figuratively and you have the knowledge that Jesus suffered for you and you look up at the cross and you say, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. Boy, we trample underfoot the cross of Christ if we reject in hand what he did for us. Boy, you have to understand this morning when I talk about being contaminated, I'm listen closely, I'm talking about being contaminated by sin. I'm talking about I'm talking about the sin that each of us commits every single day and you walk in the door and you feel like a good person because you came into church and you uh, you re- open up your Bible and you read it or maybe you have a Bible app on your phone and you read the the verses in front of you and you pray and you feel godly you feel spiritual and you go and you do a kind deed for your neighbor or some uh, relative or some elderly person uh, uh, you you help an old lady across the proverbial street, right? And you're doing everything you can and you think, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And listen, those are all good deeds. Going to church and helping others are all good deeds. But can I tell you that that does not erase the sin that we commit each and every day. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We, we, we have a proud, arrogant attitude. We argue with our spouse. We we get into fights or, or disagreements and, and we get in the flesh and we get carnal with other people in our lives. That doesn't please the Lord. The truth is, if we're all honest with ourselves, we're all contaminated by our sin. 
And I'm here today to tell you, I'll speak more about this in a moment, but I'm here today to tell you that there's only one answer to erase your sin off your record. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. He shed His blood. He spilled His blood at the altar of the cross so that your sins could be expunged. Your record could be cleared and cleansed and cleaned. And until you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, my friend, you're walking through life in the eyes of God contaminated. Don't you dare touch those Lord's Supper elements until you've put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You say, well, Pastor, I have called on the name of the Lord to be saved. I have believed. Does that mean I'm qualified? Well, you may have been saved from your eternal sin, but what about your daily sin? What about that father-son, father-daughter relationship you have with God? Notice that in order to be worthy to partake of these elements of the Lord's Supper, to come to the Lord's Supper table, this person must have their sins confessed before God. Uh, uh, Psalms chapter 68 verse 18 says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, finish the verse with me if you know it, the Lord will not hear me. Wow, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What does that mean? When I was young, I would think that, you know, I'd sinned on accident or I'd done something wrong and unknowingly, you know, uh, messed up. And um, uh, that God had just shut me out. He won't talk to me anymore. And as I have grown in my knowledge of God's word and, and really my knowledge of the English language, I have learned that's not what that verse means. The key word here is the word regard. If I regard iniquity in my heart, I have a kind regard toward my wife and my children. I have a kind regard, uh, a different kind regard, but I have a kind regard toward all of you in this room. Uh, I'm thankful that you came this morning. I, I like you as a Christian to another Christian. I love you. I have a fondness toward each of you. If I am fond toward iniquity in my heart, if I enjoy iniquity that lives within my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Christian, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, sin that's just part of who you are, it's in your heart, your language, how you treat your, your, your neighbor. Your neighbor could be anything from your spouse to the person who lives next door to the person you bump into at the store. Those secret sins that nobody knows about. If I regard that, it's like I'm taking a pair of scissors and I'm clipping the telephone wire with God. He's not going to hear me. Why? Because I'm contaminated. Boy, you better make sure before you come to this time where we partake of the Lord's Supper elements, you better make sure that you've taken time to confess your sin. I don't believe it works this way, but this visual has helped me. I have always imagined that in heaven God has a whiteboard with my name on it scribbled in dry erase marker. And on that whiteboard, any time that I do wrong, God knows it. Whether I verbalize it, it could just be within my heart. It could be a thought. But God sees every one of my sins. And He writes on my board with my name on it, He writes my sins up there. And then I go to the Lord and I confess those sins. And what does He do? He takes that eraser and he wipes them away as though they've never been there. 
You say, Pastor, I'm having a hard time understanding what you're getting at here. Let me try to explain it in a way that all of us can understand. If I regard iniquity toward my wife or toward my children, they will not hear me. If I have done wrong, if somehow I have mistreated my son, my daughter, or my wife in such a way that hurts that relationship, there may be an exchange, a cordial hello, but boy, the intimacy, the emotional closeness within the home, it just gets shut off. The home grows cold, and uh, I can't have that relationship with them until I go to them and I fess up where I did wrong, and I ask them to forgive me. And once that forgiveness is brought about, boy, then that flowing of communication, that enjoying of fellowship can happen again. And listen, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever asked someone to forgive you and they couldn't do it? I have. Or at least it took them a while. You know, with God, when He sees that we agree with Him on our sin... He instantaneously forgives us. He throws it over his back. He buries it in the deepest sea. Uh, uh, he, he, he casts it as far as the east is from the west, which the east never meets the west. So what's that mean? It means it's like it never happened with him. He completely forgives us. And that relationship is restored. Boy, don't come to the Lord's Supper table this morning and take these elements if you're not yet a, a, a true believer in Jesus Christ. Don't come to the Lord's Supper table this morning and take these elements if you have unconfessed sin in your heart and your life. Let me give you one more, one more about how to make yourself worthy. This is a person, this person must have their strife resolved with others. Must have their strife resolved with others. Turn over with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 23. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 23. And let's uh, see what Jesus had to say as he gave this famous sermon on the mount. The Bible says there, Jesus is speaking, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. It's great to have this line working great, working well between me and heaven. But sometimes the lines this way get cut. There's a, uh, a personality conflict. There's a disagreement where you reach an impasse with someone and there just doesn't seem to be a solution. Sometimes this can be between a husband and wife or a parent and a child. Sometimes this can be between uh, grown children who've moved out of the house and aren't talking to mom and dad anymore. Sometimes this can even be between two Christians who occupy the same church building, the same church family. Can I encourage you to do everything you can to make peace with those who have wronged you or that you have wronged? I've been going to church since nine months before I was born. I've been going to a Baptist church the entire time. I've been a born-again believer in Jesus Christ since I was four years old. In my 
32 years of being a Christian, on a number of occasions, I have been sitting in a service like this one, and I have let the plate with the bread or the juice pass right by me, and I have not partaken. Because either I was in a state of rebellion with God, and I knew it, or I had strife between me and a brother or sister, and I was guilty, at least in part of that strife. Can I, can I go back and read for you what, 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 the, what Paul told the church of Corinth? He said, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. Boy, that's not a chance that I want to take. You make sure you take the time and you have a true repentance toward the sin in your life. If there's somebody in this world that you have strife with right now that's unresolved, well, you make sure you're really careful about how you handle these elements. You say, Pastor, I've tried to reconcile and that person does not want to reconcile with me then you've done your part. And it ought to be that those people, that person can come to you at any moment and you're ready to make amends. The truth is all of us are contaminated because all of us sin on a regular basis. The question is, are you going to get down on your knees or at the least bow your heart and confess those sins? Paul said some of you are careless. He said some of you are contaminated. Letter C, notice, some of you are condemned. Some of you are condemned. Look at verse number 30 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That word sleep there means death. Many of you are dead. You're asleep in the Lord. For if we would judge ourselves, what a great truth, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, punished by the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. He says here, some of you in your church are weak. Some of you in your church are sick. Some in your church have even died because of your flippant, non-reverent attitude toward the Lord's Supper elements. Now, I've been asked, where is the lie? How much grace does God give here? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. I sure don't want to play games with God on this. Boy, I sure want to make sure I'm doing my part to come to this time of the Lord's Supper with a heart that's prepared and pure and serious and reverent toward what my Savior has done for me. Number one, we saw... The Christian's rebuke. Number two, notice the Christian's remembrance. The Christian's remembrance. Below that letter A, notice his sacrifice. Look with me at verse number 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Please do take the time to look at the verses along with me here. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he, this is speaking of Jesus, and when he had given thanks, he brake it. And said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. 
This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Here we see that Jesus sacrificed his body and he sacrificed his blood. I imagine that Jesus that day in the upper room with his disciples. It wasn't a party atmosphere. Jesus was very heavy in his spirit. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that in just a few hours his Judas who sat across from him or next to him would betray him. He knew that he would be arrested. He knew he'd be spat upon and have his beard ripped out. He knew that he would be whipped. He knew that he would have nails driven through his hands and his feet. Jesus was very heavy in his spirit, under a lot of stress. His disciples could feel the tension in the room. Jesus stood up and they all got quiet. And he took a large piece of unleavened bread. The bread would have been unleavened because leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. The bread would have had no leaven in it. He stood there with that large piece of bread and he walked to each disciple and he ripped the bread. He tore apart the bread. And as a visual, he's tearing off a piece and he's handing it to this disciple and the next disciple and the next disciple and the next disciple. And he's saying to them as he's breaking this bread, as he's ripping this bread, as he's tearing this bread, he said this is a representation of what they are about to do to my body. And he said, I will sacrifice my life for you. He then picked up the cup. The cup that had wine in it. By the way, that word wine in its purest form, just means vine juice. Before you here, we have grape juice. Unfermented grape juice. Welch's grape juice, I believe. And this is wine. It's not fermented, but it's wine all the same. Jesus lifted up that cup, and that wine would have been non-fermented, because again, fermentation represents sin in the Bible. Jesus said this cup, is a representation of my blood that I am about to shed to be the cleansing agent for your soul. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by traditions from your fathers, listen to this, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, Jesus shed His blood so that our sins could be washed away. What a great sacrifice He made. Letter B, notice our salvation. Our salvation. Look back with me at verse 23. And let's read these verses one more time. But I'm going to put the emphasis in just a little bit different place. And I want to show you that Jesus' sacrifice was for me and for you. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye. As oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. 
You know, the story of the cross is powerful. To know that God would leave heaven and come to earth, be born through a virgin's womb and live a perfect sinless life and be tempted of the devil but not fall and take 12 men and train them uh, to go out and be revolutionaries around the world and then be arrested for crimes that he had not done and uh, be tried and falsely uh, uh, found guilty of something that he had not done and then be beaten and whipped and scourged and, and, and made to look like a worm. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 that no one could even look at him. No one desired to look at him. And they hung him up there and they killed him. And three days later, he rose from the dead. That is a powerful story. But how much more powerful is it when you realize that he went through that for you. He died for you. And He died for me. Boy, why did He do it? Because He knew that we were sinners and our sin had damned us. It had condemned us to hell. And the only hope we had is if someone would step in our place and go through hell for us. And Jesus suffered so that we wouldn't have to. He paid a debt He did not owe. Because I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. For Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. The truth is, if you're sitting here this morning listening to me preach, or you're watching online... Jesus died for you just like He died for me, but that does not guarantee that you're going to go to heaven. You see, to go to heaven, the ball is now in your court, my friend. Jesus provided the way, but He is looking for you to believe. And He requires a heart full of faith in what He did. You know, there were two thieves that died next to Jesus on the cross. Two, the Bible calls them mouth actors. The one man looked at Jesus and was skeptical. He said, if you really are who you claim to be, then come down off that cross and take us with you. He didn't believe. The other thief rebuked and reprimanded his friend and looked at Jesus and said this. He said, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? You know what he was saying? He was saying, Jesus, I believe in you. He was saying, Jesus, I know you're my way to heaven. The one man died and went to hell. The other man who believed, Jesus looked at him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Did Jesus die for both thieves? Yes. But only one thief went to heaven and the other thief went to hell. You know, the world is, for the most part, on their way to hell because they have not believed in Jesus. That choice is for you and you alone. April 8th, 1988, I was a four-year-old boy. I sat in a church service much like this one. I heard a sermon much like the one I just preached. At the end of that sermon, I got up from my seat and I came down to the front and I kneeled down at the altar and my father took me and sat me on the front pew and I called on the name of the Lord. I put my child childlike faith, my child faith in what Jesus did, I believed in that day my soul was saved. My parents couldn't do it for me. I had to do it for myself. 
If you're listening to me this morning, I would just encourage you to make that same decision. The decision I made as a four-year-old boy. The decision that thief made on the cross. Call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be rescued. Thou shalt be saved. Let's not delay.